Welcome to the Generations Podcast, where we talk about key issues that divide the different generations and how the church can be a place where we unite. Each week we'll focus on a different issue that we see culturally and discuss how each generation is in a unique place to make a difference. We hope you can make the live class that happens every Sunday morning at Stonebridge Church. Here is Generations. All right, so um, just a quick recap on the schedule. Last week we covered politics, so I went on vacation for that, so uh, I didn't have to be here. No, I'm just kidding. You missed the brawl. But I heard it was great. I heard it was fantastic and civil, so that was good. Ben ran a tight ship. I'm sure he did, yep. Um, So this week we're talking about faith. Next week we are off for the 4th, so you'll get an email about that too, but just a reminder, we are off next week. Um, So this week we're covering the topic of faith and how that changes from generation to generation. So um, Nietzsche is a guy, a German philosopher in the late 1800s, and he very famously kind of coined the phrase that God is dead, right? So we're familiar with that term because in the last, I don't know, 10 years, we decided to make two Christian films claiming that he's not dead, right? I think we're that insecure, I guess, about it. I don't know. Um, so we made those films, so we're familiar with who he is, right? And, and his, his viewpoint on that had to do with a lot of things. It had to do with the, the scientific advancement that was progressing, um, that as individuals kind of surveyed the landscape of, of culture and, and how science was progressing and technology, that he, he made the claim that God is dead for that very reason, that, that God is dead because we literally have no use for him, because we can pretty much do anything now that God could do, right? And he also was talking about sort of the, the cultural advancements, the uh, understanding of human consciousness. The more that they discovered about that, the more that he sort of progressed and begin to think and see that, uh, that there was not a need for God. Now, he was a pretty harsh critic of Christianity as well, um, but I also think that he kind of knew that um, this is the way things were going, and, it, and he also kind of made the idea or made the case that that wasn't going to be good. Um, so even though he was a harsh critic of Christianity, I think he made the case that um, society's sort of grounding in this idea of God was something that made culture and society stable, right? And so, and after that, we get the 20th century, which we saw just kind of break out into chaos. So actually, he was ab- absolutely correct that when God is sort of removed, um, things become less stable and more chaotic. And so, um, we saw that play out, and then we see um, what kind of the wave that began to take over Europe after that, right? Where if you go to Europe now, they have churches that are literally used for uh, skate parks, right? And, uh, and bars and shopping malls. Um, they're, they're actually, it's actually, a, um, it's actually a problem, like the amount of empty spaces that they have that they cannot convert, right? It's actually a, a space problem in Europe. You have all these empty churches. And so, um, and so the question that we have to ask ourselves as we look at the data and where America is going is that are we on a similar trajectory? Um, so before we get into this, I'm going to ask a uh, trivia question. All right. So in, let's say, looking at the, the silent generation, World War II generation, um, what would you say... Um, in America, the percentage of sort of professing Christians was? 65. 65%? That's, that's all denominations, right? Yeah, I, well, I'll have to see. 
but I'm pretty sure. Let's just let's just say let's just say Christianity. Let's say Protestant Christianity. Let's say what the what would you say would be the percentage would be of that generation? Anybody higher than sixty five? Maybe lower than sixty five? Do we all think that Will's assessment is the perfect one? Absolutely. He sets. He's. He should this be. Is place, you should be an odds maker, man. You set set that line right there. Yeah. You thought seventy. Okay. Okay. Higher than sixty-five. Okay. So now people are talking. One dollar. Yeah. All right. So let's take a look at this chart that, uh, and if you can see, uh, kind of what it looks like. Um, so. Of that silent generation, 85% was the number. Um, and then, as we continue to sort of look, now this is, again, this is generational replacement. This is from Pew Research um, that's basically talking about the decline of mainline Protestant and Catholic. So Catholic's actually in this group, too. Um, so they, it's, the, it's the makeup of, uh, actually, I don't know if, it's, if that's separate or not. It looks like it's a part of it. Yeah. Well, it's not bold itself. Yeah, it looks like it's un, it's in that eighty five percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, and so, what happens? What do we see happening here? Decline, right? And that's not a subtle decline, is it? No. I mean, you're talking about if you were born, you know, younger. They have younger millennials here, but that's really that's really probably more. Generation Z, the the very end one, they call them younger millennials, um, and so yeah, we see a pretty pretty steady decline, and it really begins with the millennial generation. That that as they kind of come of age, um, we see them drop. We see a, I mean, it's a pretty steep drop from seventy eight to seventy, but then it drops to to all the way down to fifty seven. So um, so we see a decline, and we see um, a pretty steep decline, generation after generation after generation, right? Um, and so, my uh, the, the first sort of question I want you to sort of discuss among yourselves is, what are your thoughts? Why, why, are, why is this happening? What's uh, what's going on um, in your mind, or what do you feel like is the is the reason that we're seeing this happen um, across the generations? So maybe just like a person next to you, a person across from you, or wherever. I'll give you two minutes to sort of come up with a. Uh, uh, a good reason, and then uh, and then we'll talk about what you guys think. Figure out if we have some uh, some uh, yeah. All right, and go. <laughs> hello, hello. Huh? We can start now, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. No, you're good. We're discussing the decline of Christianity, so we'd love to hear your thoughts on. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on why that's happening. All right, you got one minute. So the decline of Christianity. Yes. What do you feel like is the cause? Would you like to see the chart? You guys missed the chart. So there's the chart, percentage-wise. 
So this is a uh, just a percentage of of who was sort of a would attest Christianity across the generations down the line. Who would attest, okay, that they're Christian? Yeah, so in the 1920s to 45, you have 85% of the population, and then all the way to 1990, only 56% now. So. All right, y'all, ten more seconds. Get your answers in. All right. Thoughts? Let's solve all the world's problems right now. <laughs> Distractions? Okay, so technology. Technology specifically. I would say the decline of the family. Okay. I, I think a lot of it started like with my generation when divorce became really huge. Mm -hmm. um, with my generation, a lot of parents separating, so I think a lot of... Okay. Think a lot of that was lost. Yeah. My my theory. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no, no, no. no I'm done. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, that's really great. I just think that the church and politics are becoming more intertwined. Yeah. What I was that Will's answer? You just yeah. Okay. Copying his actual his verbiage. Okay. But like Ben pointed out, I think last week was like Roe v. Wade was like a big turning point for evangelicals to be kind of involved in like a political. Movement. Yeah. It was like a very yeah. um, unifying and like. Um, kind of call to arms kind yeah, of. Yeah, right. And so, yeah. and from that, I think um, the church, I mean, I wasn't born then, so I don't know how it was before, but it seems like it took definitely like a rightward turn with politics, whereas before maybe it was like not as. Maybe more bipartisan or. Or just like not, not as connected. Not to partisan. At all, right? Yeah. Just nonpartisan. And uh, so I think maybe that's turned off a swath of the population that's yeah. reflected in the... Yep, I think that's probably true. Uh, I think a lot has to do with social media. When you look at one preacher somewhere doing one thing wrong, everybody, everybody used to, in the congregation, used to know about it, but it wasn't. Now it's like national news that this preacher did something that was terrible. So, so sort of maybe broad brushing, yeah, kind of like painting like... This happened at this church with these Christians. Therefore, this is representative. This is a representative of all Christians and how they would act. Yeah. It's certainly more accessible now that the faults and failures of anyone who's a prominent you know, Christian is certainly, certainly more, more widespread for yeah. sure. Yeah, and circulated. Probably more looked for. Like there's a game in tearing people apart and um, you know ruining their lives. So yeah. Yeah. Especially with social. But I would say, though, too, I think you're right. But so social media comes into play mid. Well, no, not even mid days. Probably um, even right now. I mean, so this I would say that currently that's true. But I don't know if that fully really are really kind of encapsulates why this is because you see the decline far before social media really enters in the picture. Look at that spread, though, from Generation X. 
to the millennials, and that's the generation in which I was born. Yeah. And I really think a lot, that's just my personal opinion, because I saw a lot of friends mm-hmm. go through that with yeah. the divorce of parents, and they stopped going to church. Yeah. Um, they stopped being involved. And even to this day, those friends that I had that when we were little kids who were very actively involved in church, their parents split, completely uninvolved now, yeah. no interest in Christianity. I mean, the, the older millennials, you are right, they have the, the highest uh, divorce rate out of any generation, the older millennials do. So that, that, that partly can be true. And with the baby boomers, I mean, is they came to me, the woman went out, there were two family, I mean, a two household, mm-hmm. two earning households on analogies. And uh, I think that would be starting to break down the family unit. Right. Mm-hmm. Because of the latchkey kids, I mean, they came home, they had a key around their neck. I talked with so many kids. Yeah. Plus, yeah. What was that generation? Mm-hmm. That's what we did growing up. Went mm-hmm. home by ourselves every day yeah. after school. I do one thing. That's just. I wonder how accurately this really reflects the decline, because they're polling everyone in 2014. Yeah, so this is an older one. Getting the idea of what a silent generation person believed when they were 25 or 26. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that as we get closer to the end of our life, we tend to be more open to conversations about the afterlife. Yeah, and the, I have some more on here that are 2017, so the figures are a little bit different, um, but they're updated, but they still kind of follow this track. But I think that may heighten some of kind of the the drop. The drop, because you're saying that like these individuals may reflect differently on their pasts than they would if they were in their 20s. Yeah, I mean, so unless they was 1928, if you were to pull them at their at the age of you know 25, they're going to be in the middle of World War II. That's true. Yeah. Whereas, it's like, yes, I believe in God. Yes, whereas a, a young millennial today, you're pulling today, they're in the middle of trying to get their career going. Right. There's a hundred other things happening other than God. For sure, yeah. And, and also, um, well, anybody other answers? I don't want to give my opinion unless I hear. I think there's a huge uh, thing with like just watered-down ideals. So we take something that maybe could have been biblical truth, and then we just kind of like, it just slowly becomes this something else and there's this huge push for um like self-success and self Mm -hmm. you know so i feel like self-religion yeah like like people like whatever Mm -hmm. makes you feel good like whatever um kind of just like these feel-good messages and it really strips away i think that core relationship and that need for christ and even the sovereignty of God in that, like it really just puts all of it on you as an individual. And like, so would you say though that like the the idea of like kind of the heightened sense of the individual, like that I am, would you say that that comes from the church, or is that more of a society in general kind of pivot? I I, I think it kind of started culturally, but I think a lot of churches do. They kind of jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, I think they have because it becomes popular, and then you can get, when a church kind of jumps into that, then they can get a bigger congregation and following of people. Um, but yeah, it's. I think there's like this huge, I mean, just one example that I see a lot with my friends is like this whole like phosphate <coughs> movement, and like you can like know, like I have a lot of friends who do it, so it's fine. But <laughs> this, um, if she believes she can, then she will. Or, you know, yeah. I'm like, um, you know, so just this, like, it puts everything on you as an individual. Yeah. And you as, like, you're in control of your life. And yeah. you are this, you know, 
Yeah, like, and so you kind of buy into whatever makes you feel good or whatever is right for you at that time. And yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, go, you know. Yeah. I sort of feel like we put my God in a box with that, too. And we, we equate Christianity or we, we equate our relationship with God to personal success. And I think there's a lot, there's thousands of books out there, I guess, that Christians have written that sort of place God in a box and it's all yeah. about him helping with your personal success. But I think a lot of this, going back to what I was talking about, especially maybe it was, a, maybe it was the, uh, uh, the millennials, it maybe sort of started with the, the millennials, um, just the equality in everything. Everything had to be equal. There were no winners. There were no losers. Everyone got a participation trophy. And I think there's a sense of, um, even with, you know, this is why social media gets so popular is no one wants to offend anyone. Mm -hmm, For sure. So, um, I I think that's probably contributed to some of it as well. Yeah. I think the, 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 what you guys said on, in terms of the shifting towards the, the heightened sense of individuality, that certainly does play a huge role. Yeah, I think I'm going to the, I, I thought of the diversification of churches. I mean, the, especially the non-denominational churches are popping up everywhere, and yet the number still proves that it's declining. Sure. So yeah. what's the message and why is it still not? And we can, we can dig in a little bit deeper to denominations and how, because not every denomination is declining at the same rate. So that's, that's definitely uh, one of those things that, uh, and I don't, there was so much graphs and data, I was not able to put all that in here, but, but certain denominations and certain um, sort of affiliations are not in a sharp decline as you're seeing here. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not even if they're not practicing, well, I'm Catholic or I'm Mormon or I'm this, but when you actually get to know them, you realize they don't actually go to church and serve. So I'm wondering how much of it is, um, you know, just what they were raised as. Mm-hmm. And as, as the millennials have come out, they're more, quote unquote, like honest and open about they don't. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, we'll see that in a second. Um, yeah, and I also think too, like I, we, our culture is, has for sure gotten more secular. I think we can agree on that. And so, um, whereas, I mean, think about it, like these numbers, if these numbers on the left are accurate, think about how the church was in, in that time period, how the church really was kind of the center of the kind of social universe, right? And to, to not be affiliated with Christianity in some way almost kind of made you like sort of like a, you're kind of like a pariah, right? Like you're, you're, you're someone who's like very much other than. So there were certainly some, some cultural, social pressures to confess Christianity, even if you weren't, right? Or even if you didn't care about it because of the things that went along with that. And as our culture becomes more and more secular, obviously that doesn't really become an issue for you, right? You don't really have to proclaim any kind of certain faith to be, you know, members of certain groups or be a part of, of certain clubs or whatever. Whereas in the kind of in the older kind of days, you did. Right. Because it, it said something about you and your character. Right. So I think that's that's also probably another reason why you see that, that people are literally just being more honest. Right. About where they stand spiritually. All right. Uh, so we're going to look at oh, I don't know why it's there. 
Um, we're gonna, I'm going to throw just a bunch of statistics at you. And so this will be boring, um, but it's important to just kind of lay the landscape out and say, okay, here's kind of, here's where our culture stands on, on a lot of things and particularly things that, that are important for us to know as we seek to reach these people. It's important to know kind of where they stand, what their basic assumptions are, and, and kind of what their framework for how they see faith and how they see uh, the Bible in particular. Um, so let's, let's look at this. And again, data, is, can, data rarely tells the entire story. It gives very clear indicators of where things are going, but it's not, it's not always like crystal clear. And so we should know that uh, these trends, they, they vary by race and by region. Um, so, for instance, uh, among black Protestants, they're, they are not experiencing the same kind of decline as white Protestants are, which is really fascinating. So, this, a lot of this decline is coming um, really from, from, from white Christianity. Uh, also varies extremely by region. So, the decline, um, say, in the Northeast or the Northwest is much, much steeper than, say, in our areas. So this varies very much by where you are in the country, um, and so keep that in mind, too. Um, so we have a rise of the nuns, right? And so and this is, this is, where, this is where the millennial generation kind of, we, we see, um, again, we've, there, there was decline, there was kind of steady decline, and then the millennials come across, uh, and we see it really just kind of fall off a cliff, where it begins a, it begins to tumble down. Um, and so we see a rise in no religious affiliation. And so the, the millennials are very famous, famous for, for saying that they are spiritual but not religious. Um, but we see a no religious affiliation grow from a, in the total population from 16% um, to 22.8% in seven years. Right. And so, again, that's um, that's still we're this is we're five years out from that. And that has continued, just so you know, that those stats have those stats continue to extrapolate out. Um, and we see uh, atheism and agnostics. Uh, it rises uh, to three percent. So it almost doubles in that time frame as well. And that's and they're part of that twenty two point eight percent of non-affiliation. Um, so but we see a clear uptrend. Um, not to atheism, but to unreligious. And so that's where that spiritual but not religious kind of comes into play. That there's still uh, an essence of, of spirituality and being interested in spiritual things and being open to spiritual things, um, but not being kind of tied down to a specific religion or a specific denomination. Um, and so, and that number is pretty high among 18 and 24 year olds now. 66% would be religiously uh, or are religiously uh, affiliated. So that's a pretty significant number um, for them. So 44% or whatever that math is. 44%, right? Yeah. 34%. So 34% are religiously affiliated. Sorry, math. Um, but, and here's, here's where this differs among the, the generations. So, um, and this, is, this number is, so like first time, first time uh, college students, first year college students, that, that's what that number reflects. Um, so parents of first year college students is also shrinking though, because in 1976, that number stood at 95% um, of, of parents who attended church regularly, right? Parents of first time college students. Um, that number shrunk to 83% in 2016. So it's not just older millennials or millennials 
who are kind of shirking away from church attendance and consistent affiliation. It's also the parents of each of these generations as well. So, um, and then Generation Z, which is the the teenage generation, the generation that um, was born in 1995 and after, um, they are more likely than any other generation to be raised by unaffiliated parents. So, we said, what, what would your future telling be based on that statistic? Continued the numbers are going to sharply. I would think that the numbers are going to continue to decline at a pretty good rate. Has there, I mean, since we're just starting with like the silent generation, has there ever been a reversal of this trend in history or was it like, like with the... Like in Europe? No, or like even in America with like the revivals and the, you know, stuff like that. You see, so like you see certain um, upticks and probably based on those. So like in the 80s, you did see some, some, some trends that went up sharply. Um, but then, and, and again, it's not like a, it's not a continuous kind of steep decline where there aren't any bumps. There are, there are certainly some bumps of, throughout this time period where it goes back up and then comes back down and then goes back up again. So for different reasons, but the, but the reasons in there aren't explicitly stated, but you can kind of like try to figure out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we should, we should look at this and sort of think that this this isn't a problem that is going to sort of like sort itself out over time right that um, now I will say this um, there is a correlation between um, having children and as you get older becoming more conservative like that is a trend that's been studied and so millennials we know are um, they are holding off on marriage we talked about that a few weeks ago at a really really higher rate than any other generation we know that they're not having um, as many children or are waiting to have children uh, much longer than any other generation. So uh, would I say that these numbers are like set in stone and can't change? No. I think that you definitely could see some movement when that begins to take place, right? When they begin to get married, when they begin to have children, um, because those things tend to draw you back to church, draw you even more conservative if you're not conservative. So, um, so the, the jury's still out on that, um, which we'll get into what the church can do later. Um, and, and again, this, this, this spans, um, this is going back to the spiritual but not religious. Um, this, again, is not just, we're not seeing the trend upward to that in just uh, the millennial age range. Again, you see um, kind of the millennial-ish range here and here. Um, but also you see upticks um, in, in the older generations, too. Um, obviously not as steep, although 50 to 64, I mean, that's up 8%. So that's actually in the, uh, up at the same rate um, as the other generations. So that's interesting to note as well. Um, and again, it it's pretty much spans um, all of the, the uh, demographics in education as well. You see it obviously increase as they go to college and some um, graduate school. And so that's a conversation that we could you know, have about why is that happening to people who go to college and who go to get their master's degree? Like what is a, what does the increased education have to do with, with those numbers? Um, and even still, if you were able to kind of parse that out and figure out why it still would not really kind of tell the story of these older generations who are less likely to go to college or less likely to, to have a master's degree, why that would be happening among that generation as well. So, Um, and then we look at the Bible. So uh, Barna has done a, a really, really good job at looking at the Bible and how culture 
has shifted in their view of Scripture and shifted in their view of of what the Bible is, what it brings to the table, and what its value is, which is really interesting and something for us to really take note of, right? Um, so that the percentage of adults who qualified as Bible skeptics, in some sense just being skeptical of the Bible, skeptical of its authors, skeptical of its um, truthfulness, of its sufficiency, um, we see that uh, double um, in a span of five years from 2011 to 2016. It goes from 10% to 22%. So that's a pretty significant jump. <coughs> and only 27% of millennials and 40% of Gen X believe that the Bible is trustworthy and is sufficient for a meaningful life, uh, contrasted to the boomers and the silent generation who were in more of the 60 kind of percent range. Um, so, what does that say to you? What do you guys think about those? I'm a hands-on guy with the Bible. I still like a book in my hand. Mm-hmm. And I think there's really something to be said about having that in your hand. And just by reading something on your device, it could be the same words, but it doesn't have the same impact to me. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We're doing a section on technology. So, there's a week on technology that will address that that issue of of usage and i and there was i did see some some statistics on um how bible uses has changed and how it's moved from from exactly what you're talking about more printed digital and that actually hasn't had a significant um impact on these numbers so but you're there is there is some nuance to that that we'll talk about well you know i think it's like a lot of times like a young person could go online and they they could see somebody pointed out something in the Bible that doesn't make sense on its face, and the answer, the explanation, kind of the discussion around it should be more nuanced, and it's tough. And when, like you said, like when it goes digital and it's just like scrolling through stuff rather than kind of reading long yeah. form stuff, it's really, I think it's easier for people to, um, to just be like, oh, that's talking snake nonsense, like, you know, yeah. rather than kind of get the nuanced discussion behind it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you do have access to a lot of different opinions now. I mean, you have access to information. Not all of it's good information, but you have access to it. And YouTube and has created like this sense where I can go learn about anything. Yeah, but I, yeah, think, I think... From anyone. But it's, it's always easier to poke holes in something. Definitely. Anything. Like the Bible, a, a research yeah. paper, an argument, anything. It's right. always easy to poke holes rather than like, you know, discuss, defend, stuff like that. Right. I think it's... It's interesting because I, I think that sort of along the same lines that because there's so much access to um, events and things that are happening in our world now just from social media and YouTube and, uh, you know, quote-unquote news outlets and things that are happening. And I, I think that people are, um, people are on maybe sort of, they want to know the truth, like I want to know the truth, but... Like, what is the truth now? Because growing up as a kid, you always believed that, um, you know, the, the government had your best interest in mind. That, you know, they were taking care of the country. But you, you find out. But then, but then you, you find out that everything is corrupt. It's all. It's just there's I think that I think we're so influenced by the knowledge and the availability of information now. Yeah, that we become very skeptical about what is the truth. Well, and, and you're talking about kind of also the decline of of the um, kind of the 
positive view of authority as well right, exactly. in, in any sense, in any sense, whether that's, you know, whether it's institutional authority, whether that's religious authority, there absolutely is a shift. And that comes, I think you guys talked about the shift to, to the individual that kind of comes along with that. So and I think, Lala, you're talking about morality and authority coming up. So I'm sure you're going to talk about that a little bit in some sense. So, so that'll give us a, a big picture as well. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Whichever one Google decides is the best one, or like the most viewed one, will pop up. Yeah. Can you look at talking about the education process now and how when they go through the the first few years of college or the master's yeah. degrees, there's this like need for them to take a position of uh, you know knowledge from authority, like so. Stephen Hawking, for instance. Yeah. He can never be wrong because, you know, he's a super smart guy. Right. But if he's ever proven wrong, there's this need to defend him, but he's got, you know, all this stuff going on and he's got, you know, thousand degrees or whatever. Yeah. There's no need to defend the Bible because it was written by a bunch of non-doctors and non-people who went to school for 15 years. Yeah, and I think think that goes back to people seeing the individual as almost like a, a higher standard than an institution. So, you know, if Stephen Hawking was maybe like a part of, you know, a group of scientists who are putting out information about things, maybe it would be different. But because he is kind of like this, has this very kind of celebrity kind of persona that, you know, but he, and he is a very smart guy. And so he kind of draws out this sense of, okay, that guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So if you were to say, hey, God exists, how many more people would be like, holy crap, God exists? Yeah, I don't know. Just from this guy saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, okay, but, no, I, I think, too, there's this, um, well, the Bible is extremely convicting. So for people who really want to seek truth and they go to the Bible for truth, they're going to find conviction in that, which nobody wants to be convicted. Like, conviction is painful. So I think that there's kind of this like, well, that doesn't make me feel good. And there's kind of this like, do what kind of makes you feel good mentality and, Mm -hmm. you know, believe what, you know, makes you happy and all that kind of stuff. So I think that there's kind of this shift like, well, there's no way that that could be truth if it doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. And there's this, every, everything is like quick, easy access, right? Like I want Mm -hmm. to, I've got 10 minutes, I want to learn this or I want to know this, you know, quickly. And to really understand scripture and to really understand the Bible, it takes time. It takes effort to really seek to find what you're looking for. So I think most of the Bible is it's just easily dismissed because there's so many <coughs> things out there that can make you feel better. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and it's a but yeah, reading the Bible is a long term investment. It's a lifetime investment when we don't have our lives to yeah. devote to something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to one thing. Something quick. Yeah. I yeah. mean, this. Yeah. It's easier to pick up the trendy book. Mm-hmm. I know, like you and I've had this conversation, so I'm not gonna. I won't say the name of the book. But um, <laughs> like, there's but people like buy into the book because it's a lot more trendy, and there's there's like this God idea that kind of floats around in the background, even though it's not scripturally sound. And um, anyway, so I told her, I was like, read it with all of your red flags. But, um, and 
but people are buying into this as truth. And so they're following this woman as she is a spiritual, like, Spiritual gurus, you kind of have a rise of the spiritual yes. gurus. And yeah, I'm like, this is so not even. Yeah, <laughs> and and so it's easier to buy into that as truth. Yeah, because it feels better. What were you gonna say? I just think for me, like, just when I read these stats, what it tells me is, as Christians, like, we need to know how. And this is my thing, apologetics. Like, yeah. know how to defend that the Bible is true and ask mm-hmm. yourself why it why do I think the Bible is true because when you've got these people all these yeah. people that are skeptics that are coming at you with well what about this and this and this and then you're like oh uh yeah so take well, that time that's good and we'll talk about some outcomes out. yeah we'll talk about some like okay what are some outcomes from this and that's the greatest thing I think to know what you believe and why you believe right, right. Well, and also it's like for the longest time is like and we touched on it last week like you don't discuss politics or religion in polite company you know right like, right and so like it's kind of been relegated to social media which is like the most toxic yeah chamber it's of, the like, part in which like you're not going to convince anybody of anything yeah, it yeah. Just gets ugly and ugly so it's like it's almost like if we're free to have like honest discussions like no matter what your perspective is like I think yeah. the discussion are going to be a lot healthier for sure you know what I mean um I don't want to miss this out because I think Generation Z is a really important generation. Um, about one in four among all Generation Z believes the Bible and science are complementary. So that's a pretty big thing, too. It's a big issue. Um, and here are the numbers on, here are the actual numbers. So um, Barna broke it out by, the, in the red, you have the percentage, you get the generations here. Sorry, it's not very pretty. Um, and you have, the red stands for, I believe that the Bible is the actual Word of God. The yellow is, I believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Um, the um, green is inspired but with error. The blue is not inspired. And the, or the dark blue is not inspired. The light blue is just another book. And so we can kind of see, um, based on these numbers, that you do have... Um, you see the generation, the boomers, who kind of either the actual Word of God or the inspired Word of God up above 60%. And then with Gen X, we see that number kind of fall back a little bit to about 50%. Millennials, that falls back even further. And with teens, it actually kind of goes up. And so that's an interesting uh, stat for us. Could that be because they're tracking with their parents at that age? Because they're, I mean, most of the teens are kids of Gen Xers. Um, yes. And so they haven't gone to college yet. They haven't gone, they haven't, right. yeah. what, what we, they haven't seen the, the decrease that, that the statistics bear out for the older millennials yet. Um, and I don't know. I don't know why else that might be. Um, but and you can also see that just another book is is rising, particularly as you get up to the millennials. So again, the millennials are kind of the they're kind of the the, the trendsetters when it comes to, to this in terms of really seeing a pretty big big shift happen. Um, but um, we've kind of we've kind of talked about. Um, the church, and we've kind of talked about people in the church. And I, as looking over those stats, those actually, I was actually pretty surprised by by these things. So good news, in terms of Bible engaged, like engaged with the Bible, um, we don't really see a difference in the generations. So, and in fact, um, millennials are almost just as engaged, even more so than Gen X, when it comes to practicing Christians about being engaged with the Bible. And they kind of like talk about, they have a, different, a couple different categories. There's Bible engaged, which I think that, that probably means that you read the Bible consistently. Bible friendly means that you read it like 
every so often, you know, but it's, it, you still obviously carry with it a lot of value. Um, and then they have kind of Bible neutral and Bible negative. So like neutral means like you don't really care about the Bible. And then Bible negative is you don't like the Bible, which I don't know how you can be a practicing Christian and not like the Bible, but <laughs> the numbers, the percentage of those are very small, but still they were there. So it's like, okay, I don't get that, but okay. Um, but Bible engaged. So, so really adding these numbers together, you kind of get the sense of, okay, who still values scripture, who still sees it as an authority for your life. And so the millennials, if you add those two numbers together, I mean, you get, what is that? I'm a math guy. 87. 87%, right? And that's actually in the millennial age, that's actually trending higher uh, than 86 in the, in the boomer range. So what that says to me is, is that, you know, we can talk about how the church, the, the American church has changed, right? And we can kind of talk about how it's gotten watered down, it's gotten, you know, whatever, it's gotten, we can have a lot of opinions about that. But in terms of how um, the different g- generations see the Bible, value the Bible, that is pretty consistent, that that's remained consistent, um, which is good news. I think that's a good, that's a good thing. It's a, that's a source of, of unity uh, among Christians. That's something that we have in common, that we're not seeing. This isn't an issue that we need to address in some significant way. Although you could probably say that across every generation we could address this issue better. Um, but it's not like, okay, we, alarm bells are ringing, like we have you know, a discipleship issue on this. I would say that these numbers are more positive. Um, and so this is practicing Christians, the same graph, the same uh, data set um, of who believe um, that it's the actual Word of God, it's the inspired uh, Word of God, or it's inspired with error. Um, and so we see those numbers, um, again, kind of play out. And it's the same uh, statistics that I listed earlier. Um, but you can see the, the engagement is relatively consistent, even going up as the generations progress, which I think that's a, that's a good thing. That's a thing that, that, that's a good a source of, of hope for us. What do we mean as like action, actual as opposed to like inspired? Is that like so I I would probably say I'm I'm not really sure how they broke that out. I would probably suggest that the the inspired word of God meant that I don't know. Man I wrote it down. God inspired it. Yeah, as opposed to and maybe that's maybe that's uh, has to do with um, the um, kind of the fundamental literal sense that I believe this is the literal word of God, that every word is a literal word of God. And, and so, but I'm not sure that'd be a good thing to kind of break out. Yeah. All right. And, and we, so we, we kind of go to the friction points. Um, and, and really I think there's not a lot of friction points for here. I think across generations, I think that there are things that each generation can do. First of all, I think each generation can can be responsible for reaching their generation. Um, and um, I think that there certainly is a place for older generations to to really seek to to bring alongside them the younger generation when it comes to faith. I think there is certainly room for that. So the friction points um, really aren't friction points. The friction points of the generations are, are really, we're going to talk about really at large, like what's, what what Barna and um, people like Dave Kinneman, who was Barna's president, um, and um, some of the other P research would point to and say, here, as we've, poll- as we've polled people, as we've done the research, here are the things that we've seen consistently. Here are the, as people are communicating to us, why they move from religious affiliation to non-affiliation, or move from 
you know, I believe in this thing and now I don't believe in this thing or I'm skeptical of this thing. Here are the, the main reasons why. And if you uh, like to read, uh, Kinnaman's book, You Lost Me and Unchristian are fantastic. They're good reads if you like that kind of stuff. Um, I would suggest those. Um, but here are some causes, right? So they see that there is a disconnect between the people who go to church, the way they go to church, and who they are at work, in their normal lives, and who they are in their neighborhoods. And so we've kind of talked about kind of the hypocrisy, the kind of the uh, broad brushing hypocrisy that, that people see among Christians. Um, but at the same time, I think that there, there's, some, there's some truth to that, that, there, that that's, that probably is a pretty big issue that we should probably try to fix in our own selves, right? Um, because it, it kind of communicates that spirituality and our faith is kind of relegated to one specific part of our lives and it doesn't actually encompass every bit of who we are. And so I'm a nice person at church, but I can be whoever I want and act however I want to people that I'm around in my neighborhood, at my workplace, or in my life. Right? That's an issue. Like that's a that's an issue that 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 we need to contend with. Um, church is anti science. So there's that sentiment that's there as well. Uh, church is anti-LGBTQ. That was one significant reason. Um, and that they are loudly against some things, um, but not others. And so essentially we are kind of known for what we are against, not what we are for. Um, and we've kind of hit on this already, that, uh, that church is kind of too um, politically saturated or it's too uh, partisan, I think is probably how I would put it. So a, a kind of a marching in step with, with the right and politics is another reason why some people have uh, moved to that unaffiliated state, um, so, which is interesting. All right, so knowing that, kind of having the data laid out in front of us, seeing the, the causes that we see, um, and again, we're not, we can't fix every issue, and not every issue is a, like, oh, we should do that, and problem solved. Um, but I would love to hear you talk for, we got about a few minutes left, so talk for two minutes, and then uh, let's come to the table with some, some practical things that we might do. That maybe, we'll, we'll do it this way. What are some things we could do as individuals? And what are some things the church could do? So, go. Could you zoom back out on that list? Sure. Okay. Talking each other each yeah, yeah. Okay. You can talk to the person behind you too if you want. You don't have to talk to them. I don't know, you don't have to. All right, I'll come talk to you. How are you? Good. You kind of missed a lot of it, but what do you think? When you say practical solutions, I mean, I'm understanding the, um, because, like, the overall kind of purpose of this is that people are leaving the church or they're not being there for various different reasons. Yeah, they're becoming kind of more religiously unaffiliated. So, when you say practical solutions... Yeah, what can we do as individuals? What can we do as the church? Back up on the frame of that, because that question implies that there are this problem. Um, so yeah. What is, what is the problem and what are we trying to solve? Like, what is the end, end purpose of the solution? What is that solution going to do for 
Are you asking me or is that rhetorical? Oh, okay. Well, I think it's like, let's say we have a solution. What, what, what is the outcome? How do, I guess the question is if we're called to kind of live out the great commission, right? We're called to make disciples, called to bring people into the family of God, right? We're, we're seeing a, a people kind of not want to be involved in that for various reasons. So is there anything we can do to still accomplish pulling people into church, pulling people into the family of God while addressing these issues, I guess. Okay. Um, well, that's a hard question. It's not an easy question. The key distinction is the church isn't necessarily a building, as we know. It's the, right. It's the body of Christ. It's the community, yeah. Um, and Jesus actually said something once that I think about a lot, which is I didn't come to bring peace. Um, you didn't bring a sword. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, the thing, he very clearly said that there was going to be turmoil based on this. Yeah. Right. Um, that's so, a good point because, so like, if that is truth, yeah, and that's what's going to happen. Then that means what we need to be an acceptance of it. We need to step back and realize that these differing opinions. God had a purpose for them, and us being yeah. together with those differing opinions. Mm-hmm. And how do we allow for those differing opinions in the same space? And if they are too diverse. At some point, if it just breaks down to a full out like an argument kind of a thing, yeah. fight, that serves no one. Yeah. Actually, having different. It's like, do we change our core doctrines and beliefs to sort of better fit what's around us? The answer to that question is probably no, or it is no. Yeah. There's, there's actually one church that I went to, um, Ecclesia. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. That is on a I really appreciated the entire focus. I felt like it was on love acceptance of everyone. Yeah, it is. Um, They're in Montrose, so, yeah. So, um, at some point, though, you can kind of get to a For point sure. where it's like, it goes too far. Yeah. It seems like a really kind of a fuzzy line. Yeah. Um, and then they're really solid leadership in order yeah. to hold that line of love. And, and figure out at what point are you going to have conflict that's unavoidable? It's like, oh, look, this person has mental illness and they are damaging other people in the church. Let's just love them. Right, yeah. It's like, obviously, there, there needs to be something that's going on. There. So I guess the real question is, is like, at what point do we can't, we can't do that? So can't do that. Can't do that. There's going to be people with different opinions in such a degree that maybe having separate groups um, is okay. And then the way in which you do it is okay. Right. I'm like, Okay, we're gonna be separate. Yeah. How are they gonna be separate? That's good. Thank you. All right. What do we think? Okay. Well, these are our answers. Okay. Um, we said probably remove the stigma from like the anti-science or anti-LGBTQ. Um, you know, focus on what the actual issue is there, a core issue and not. So like, God doesn't hate LGBTQ and also you are allowed to believe in, you know, like the science debate is not like part of the core debate, you know. And then also... Yeah, that's, that's true. We just went on the, we just knocked him out like according to the bullet points. Um, be more catering to people who have, a, you know, a lot of work that they're dealing with and, um, you know, try to help them be involved in different, you know, areas, but like not during work hours. Uh, and also know how to talk about politically, you know, political conversations. Know how to talk about that without offending people, without 
um, choosing a side, you know, and saying, or choosing side for God, basically, and um, not be so loud. Not be so loud. <laughs> That's the third one, fourth one. Okay. Yeah, Jenny. We're actually yeah. trending in the right direction. If you look at Generation Z, you see, yeah, and you can say it mirrors their parents and the uh, generation X. Yeah, the verdict's still out on that, yeah. Um, but if you look at it, even Pew reports are saying that they're like 90% almost against abortion, whereas millennials, even in high school, were yeah. not even close to that, closer to the 50%. Yeah. When we look at where we're heading in society, we see it through judges, like the life point out, we see it all the way through the Bible, we do all these other things, and now you have yeah. these guys that Generations. finally mm-hmm. coming online to see like apologetics on the world stage in terms of like Facebook and all these other things. Yeah. Like the Steve Vertex of the world and then the guy who does the Elevation Church. Yeah. We may not agree with every point that they have, but they're outward with their love. Yeah. They're they're explicit in how they love people yeah. and they're reaching 10 million people a week mm-hmm. you know so I think we, we're we're actually trending back in the right direction and we just need to kind of keep that going and not be so like dogmatic yeah, about be so things dogmatic about yeah. thing, but also Jesus preached love more than anything so we need to be very open that we do love everybody we don't necessarily agree with what they believe in or what they're doing yeah. We can love and guide more than we can judge. Yeah, and we had a good conversation too about like how that there's there's different stances that we can take here and the extreme stances are probably not the best ones. So on one extreme you have okay, let's let's be extra loving and let's not draw any lines and let's not do anything that would offend anyone. And it's like, okay, that's not really consistent with the New Testament church. That's not really consistent with what Jesus has called us to. So at some point, like there are lines that need to be drawn about core doctrines, core face. Now, I don't think we've done a good job of that. I think we've drawn lots of lines and said these are core things when maybe they're not core things. Um, and then there's the other stance that sort of is like, okay, now we're going to take hard stances on everything. And I think both those extremes and approaches are, are not the way to go. And I think that some some things that we can take hard stances on and just and just know that some people are going to reject this. So as we as we seek to solve problems, we're not seeking to we're not really asking the question how can everyone become saved? That's a goal that we have, but we know fully well from Scripture that isn't going to happen. That we're going to face opposition, we're going to experience where people are going to reject the message. So that's and so we can't we can't fully shape a message that everyone finds palatable and acceptable. But there are still things that we can do. So again, like both stances are probably not the best ones. And finding somewhere, yeah. Um, there was a conversation that I had. It was honestly it was weird and kind of enlightening at the same time. Um, I grew up in a church um, where um, my my best friend's dad was the pastor. Uh, he has recently come out come out as a transvestite, and he's a really smart guy. And that was just a super, honestly, it was a weird conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I asked him like, "How do you consolidate the fact that you were choosing to go this direction, and you were the pastor of a church and you were teaching us about Christianity?" And he pointed me at the Ten Commandments, and he, you know, he said, "You know, no, no." I think Jesus even said that there's no sin that's greater than any other sin, um, and that he can love God and be a Christian just like all the rest of us, because we're all sinners. He's just sinning differently. Um, and that was just like a... And I guess from the bigger conversation here, it's like, that's what everybody's arguing about. 
mm-hmm. we're all saying like that particular way of living or being or thinking yeah. is a sinful way of being or doing or thinking, but we're all doing something sinful. We're just doing something different. Yeah. They're, they're looking at us thinking the same thing. So yeah. it just made me think a lot after that conversation that you know, we're all, we've all sinned and fallen short, right? So who, who gets to decide what sin is greater? Yeah, but it also kind of goes back to how we actually live our lives. Like, how do we engage with sin? How do we engage with the stuff that's in us that we know is not? It seems like inevitably there's going to be more people and they're going to find each other. Sure. There's going to be these just groups that end up... You know, the people who are, yeah. they want science in the church. It's kind of going back to the balance of we have to figure out ways to reach those people without compromising sort of core ideals and beliefs and doctrines. Just so. praying for them and just for sure. letting them find other people who yeah. understand their perspective. This is going to be the single most influential factor of the LGBTQ movement over the next probably 15 to 20 years. And people, uh, Turning away from Christianity, or it is a strange mesh of a very um, intricately um, difficult web that's woven. Because I mean, I over the years I've worked with, I've been, um, I've worked with many uh, gay people uh, who believe that they're Christians. Um, They they believe that they have a relationship with Jesus and that it's perfectly okay for them uh, to live that lifestyle. Um, And it it goes sort of along with that is that, you know, everyone sins. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. You have sin in your life. And I think trying to love people where they're at, number one, um, is is huge and not necessarily pulling out a mallet and banging them over the head with it. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But mm-hmm. trying to love people. I, th- I think the difference for me is, yeah, I do have some sin in my life, um, but I don't want to live like that. Mm-hmm. I, and I, the Spirit compels me, uh, the Holy Spirit, I think that's the real test, is that the Spirit compels me that any time I... Um, have sin in my life that there, there's a desire and uh, frankly I, I I feel this weight over my life that I can't um, I can't live with that sin in my life without confessing it and trying to turn and repent from that sin yeah and I think that um, there's a real question if, if someone is living a life I don't care what whether it's homosexuality or, or living a uh, in an adulterous relationship outside of your marriage, if you're okay with that and you don't feel any conviction, then, in my opinion, you honestly don't have a relationship with Christ mm-hmm. because there's no conviction there in your right. heart. But this is going to be a tough, tough, tough nut to crack, especially for Christians. And I think you, I think you have to really love people where they're at. Yeah. And my my thought is. Um, um, People saying that the church is anti-LGBTQ, I think it's more about um, the sin uh, versus the person. And so, I, and I've even um, I've even asked this several years ago. I asked someone. They're saying, "Well, the church is against me because I'm gay." Um, and I said, "But does, it, does that define who you are? Mm-hmm. Is that really who you are as a person? Is that all you are uh, as a person?" And I think that's. To me, that's the single biggest uh, struggle that I have with the movement is that you're boxing yourself in and saying that this is all who I am. Right. It's all that I am is I'm just a gay person. Yeah. Uh, so 
It's complicated for sure. It's very, very complicated. I think we're so much more than than, than that. But yeah. Also recognizing it's, there's a spiritual warfare all around us. I for sure. The praying more than yeah. talking, living our lives as we feel called to be that example. Right. Praying for these hearts to be softened and to be able to listen to the Spirit. Definitely. All right, so I'm going to go through some things that, um, really quickly, what could the church do? So these are the things that are put forth by uh, Barna and um, some of uh, my own thoughts as well. So things that we could do. I think that being real and being honest, we've kind of hit on that a lot about ourselves, who we are, um, kind of limiting the idea that, you know, we kind of live these kind of religious facades that we're, we're you know, good, kind, great people, you know, in some segments of our lives, and then we kind of act however we want. And these other parts, like offering, um, you know, who we are really and committing to change. Um, offering true gospel community. I think that's important because I think people are looking for community. I think that that's reflected in our culture still, that loneliness and isolation are still big issues that the church actually offers a solution to. Um, preach a better gospel and tell why. And so we kind of hit on that, like being clear about what the gospel says and, and give uh, and tell why. Um, make disciples. I think that's kind of what one of the key things we're seeing now that we need to do. Um, invite participation. Avoid proxy wars. And so that goes to like picking your battles correctly. Um, be intentionally intergenerational. I think that's a big one. Um, meet the needs of the community and groups that are hurting. Um, be nonpartisan, but not apolitical. And so I think we can be political, but working to be nonpartisan would be helpful. Um, be engaged, being encouraging and hopeful. So. All right. Any questions? <laughs> Seek the insensitive to where people are at. Yeah, for don't, sure. Don't smack them over the head with a mallet. You don't win any, any battles. Like, That's not preferable. You don't, you don't win any Literally like or figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't. You yep. don't win anything. There's so many people out there that are like, you're wrong. And right. Whether it's political beliefs, whether it's, you know... It, whatever it is, right? Uh, you, you don't win any relationships. You don't have any relationships with people like that, for sure. So, all right, let me pray, and we'll uh, we'll dismiss. Thank you, guys. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, God, uh, just for who you are. Thank you, God, for giving us a chance to, uh, uh, to to do something here, Father, and that you've empowered us and equipped us through your Spirit, Father, to uh, to reach um, our cities and our nation, Lord. So just help us to understand what truth is. Help us to understand, Father, what is at the, the heart of uh, the gospel and, and what things are just at the heart of, of our own desires, Father, and, and where we mix those two up, Father. Um, so help us to be a place where um, the, the, the truest message, Father, may be preached and accepted, Father, and that we might do um, whatever, whatever we can do, Father, to reach those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.